following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Foundation, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Simpsons, AP Bio, Alpha House, Transformers, Bongo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I Love Lucy, Saturday Night Live, The Lion King, Battlestar Galactica, Bicentennial Man, Avengers, Endgame, Seinfeld, and The Purge. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie or an episode of a TV show and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or giant outer space bees that kill everybody that comes into their hive. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is a, my co-host, a revolving door of co-hosts, or sometimes a new one. And I have with me today, actor, writer, and one of my very good friends, Matthew Hawes. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Matt, I should have asked uh, you before I started recording. Do you prefer Matt or Matthew? Matt. Matt, okay. Because that's what I casually call me, Matt. You. I, yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure whether to say, like, Matthew or not. Um, <laughs> I think so. you forgot also to mention, uh, Lou, that this mm-hmm. episode is brought to you by Gunderson's Unshelled Nuts. That's right. This episode of Robots vs. Dinosaurs is sponsored by Gunderson's Unshelled Nuts. Uh, <laughs> um, so I haven't said what we're talking about today. Matt, why don't you tell the, the listeners what TV show and which episode we're going to be discussing? Well, that was a little bit of a clue. So people mm. in the know will have picked it up from that. But uh, we we're talking about the Futurama Holiday Spectacular. That's from right. you, you said 2010. 2010. Yes. Um, and it is certainly a holiday themed episode and it is certainly uh, a spectacular array of uh, holidays on display as well it is um i i saw somewhere that this was originally going to be called like extra value christmas pack episode or something <laughs> like that <laughs> uh but this mm-hmm. was uh season it's in season six episode 13 and listeners if you've been following the feed if you're a subscriber um you'll know that this is the third holiday special that we're talking about uh, on Futurama. So all this month, I wanted to do a robots versus dinosaurs versus Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. As you know, we're obviously we're declaring war on Christmas. So uh, I'm bringing my two favorite sci-fi monsters into the, into the foray. And those other two Futurama episodes that you're recorded haven't come out yet. Right. So I haven't heard them. So if I say anything, if I say anything, in my hot takes about Futurama or Bender that has been re- a retread, you'll let me know. Yeah, and it's no problem because I had two other <laughs> guests on the previous episodes. Also, uh, those guests were also writers from a show that um, we could talk a little bit about how you and I know each other. So Matt, you and I work on a sketch show, a live sketch show in New York City called Our Bar. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that and kind of like what we have done together collaboratively? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so our bar started as a group of actors, what, 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, who just wanted to like write some fun stuff and perform it and found a bar that could do that as, as a venue. It was very casual. Um, and it's kind of evolved over the years. I got involved maybe seven years ago now. Um, and um, it's evolved into a monthly show 
where we write scenes of things that could happen in the bar that night, uh, often straining the, you know, uh, the, the bonds of reality um, to have some fun. But everything takes place in the bar that night, and the audience gets to come sit in the bar, enjoy a drink, and then watch these scenes just play out over the course of the evening. Um, and it's been a really fun outlet. And we're finally back now in the bar after having been, you know, sort of virtually only during the pandemic, um, finally having live shows again, which That's is right. great. And we perform one, once a month on the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, but our next show is not going to be until February because we don't like to compete with New Year's. So no. <laughs> Um, no. We're going to be bringing a big event show in February. So if you're listening to this episode, you can start to get excited about, about that. And if you live in New York or near enough to New York, you should come see it. Uh, so we'll have a link in the show notes with more details about that. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about this episode. So this is, uh, I think I already said this, season six, episode 13. This episode was directed by Ray Clathy and written, of course, by Matt Groening, David X. Cohen, and Michael Rowe. Um, this is, oh, and let's talk about some of the stars of the episode, of course, Billy West, Katie Seagal, John DiMaggio, Tress McNeil, uh, Phil Lamar, all the, um, all the, all the, all the regulars. <laughs> um, and also one very special guest, actually two very special guests, Al Gore voicing himself and, uh, Coolio voicing Kwanzaabot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this episode, Matt, I think you are also a big Simpsons fan. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say big. Uh, like most people, I probably fell off with it at some point and have not watched it in years. But um, it certainly was very formative to my childhood. Would you agree um, that this this episode, more than any other episode of Futurama, is um, very, very similar in the style of the, the ha- Halloween spectaculars that the Simpsons does? Yeah, totally. And they use that same creativity they have where they know that they can just do whatever and, you mm. know, let's ki- kill all the characters. It doesn't matter. Like, we can just have some fun, um, which yeah. is great. Yeah, they all in there's three segments of this of this episode. Uh, there's a, an Xmas, not Christmas, but Xmas, um, Robonica and then a Kwanzaa section. And in each section, all of the characters die. Uh, which yes. is it's well, very yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like they gave the writers like this. Like they decided to work off the same. Not only do they all end the same way, but they all kind of revolve around the same conflict or the same central driving plots. Which is, we want to celebrate this holiday. The thing we need to celebrate the holiday is extinct or sick or gone or not able. So we got to go get the thing so that we can celebrate the holiday. And in that process, we end up all dying, mm-hmm. right? So they all follow that same pattern. Yeah, Which that's, was fun. That's really fun. I didn't notice that connection between the three. I was more focused on just, they all die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, of course, like a wraparound for the whole episode where with this. Uh, so what I like is that it's kind of, it's meta. The, um, they're at the, the very first thing uh, that we're introduced to is it's, it's uh, the holiday spectacular presented by Gunder, Gunderson's Unshelled Nuts. Later on, it's got the Gunderson's Nuts Holiday Spectacular featuring Futurama. And I thought right. that was just a lot of fun that like Futurama exists in this, in its own meta world where it's one of many things featured on this um, sponsored nuts 
uh, spectacular. I, I love that they, so they're trying to think about what is the brand or what is the product that like has sponsored or has, you know, well, it starts off sponsoring and then by the end is like hiring Futurama to promote itself. And it's, it took me a while to really appreciate what a brilliant choice un, unshelled nuts are as a product to be mm-hmm. marketed here. Cause like, there's no product here. You, we really just harvested the nuts and then are selling them. Like there's no, there's nothing to them. Um, so it's just this great sort of poking at um, marketing and capitalism. And, and uh, I, I appreciate it. It's got, it feels very Futurama, that choice. In this con, so in this context, unshelled is like, it means that the shell is still on. Right? <laughs> yeah, it, it means <laughs> they haven't even done that much for you. Yeah, no, exactly. It, but by describing it as an unshelled nut, it's you know you you you. It's like uh, it's an option of what kind of nut you want. Mm-hmm. Like you've chosen to have them unshelled, but that just that's just a nut. Like why are we calling, <laughs> specifying it's unshelled? It's so good. It is good. Um, all right, so let's let's go through these one by one. We'll talk about them more in detail. Uh, so the uh, oh yes, every episode of Futurama starts with a a little like text intro um, that that's just always a, a new like fun little little like one line joke or one line gag. This one was uh, time travelers only three hundred and thirty one shopping days till last Xmas. <laughs> it's yeah, they they're always little fun, um, and I would love to know what the writing room process was for just like pitching those little taglines and how they just, they just, I'm sure it's the sort of thing where I know that with our bar all the time, I'm thinking like that'd be good. Our great our bar scene. And mm-hmm. if you're a writer for Futurama, do you just have thoughts like that and write them down so you can pitch this like one liner? Um, it's just a fun little like creative space that they play with. It is. And I don't, uh, I haven't really tracked this as much, but there, there seems to be in every opening sequence, another, um, cartoon, a classic cartoon that plays Mm. on the TV that the, the Planet Express crashes into. Um, this one, I was looking for it and I don't think, I think only Futurama was playing on that Mm. TV. And I don't know if that's like a meta reference to later on when they say this is the Gunderson's Holiday Spectacular featuring Futurama, or if by this time, this is a season six episode, if they kind of abandoned that convention for the opening sequences. But honestly, I don't know enough about, um, even yeah. though I've seen every episode of Futurama, I, I never really noticed that. Notice that, yeah. Yeah. But I do like that they kept up the consistency of the opening joke of, yeah. Yeah. And this one, 331 shopping days till last Xmas. Um, so good. I know you love a time travel joke. Always. Always. Um, so. <laughs> So this opens with uh, everybody is getting ready to celebrate Xmas. Um, there's a gag where Bender is actually, Bender is actually uh, like a nutcracker. He's functioning as a nutcracker to unshell, to shell. It's so, so yeah, English so, language it's is so, so interesting to shell the nuts, right? Yes. It's, it's so weird. It's, it is interesting when, whenever, uh, Bender consents to being used as like an object like that, which is so kind of out of character for him, but he's sort of down sometimes. So they're like literally manipulating him as if he is a nutcracker. And that, that was funny to me, partly because we know Bender and we know 
he had to have consented to that like fully and enthusiastically in order for this to be happening. And there had to be something in it for him. Right. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's what it, like the, 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 the three sections are so short each that they just like pack in these like gags. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of just like throwing gags at the wall. It's like, they didn't want it more than one or two seconds to go by without some kind of gag. So it's great just to see this onslaught of, of both uh, dialogue and visual gags. And this, that's one of them. You're immediately hit with like, okay, and now he's a nutcracker. Yeah, there are so many gags in every episode of Futurama. The writing is so good. And like you said, the jokes are so dense that I've, I've, I've definitely seen every episode of Futurama. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I haven't, I, I can't say that I've seen every episode twice or like that many times, but there are several episodes that are like some of my favorites. And this is definitely one I've seen dozens of times. And mm-hmm. every time I watch it, I notice something that I missed before because it's just, sometimes it's just like text in, in the background or a billboard or something that like just flashes right by. And there, there's a bunch of little silly things and then we'll get to them as we talk, talk to them that like it would have been so easy just to not do that and they mm-hmm. you know, they took the extra time and uh, sometimes like a lot of extra animation just to do that and it cracks me up mm-hmm. um but right right so right after the nutcracker moment is actually uh, it's an incredibly futurama line and it's one of my favorites from the whole episode when uh fry is size like kind of sadly and leela comes up and says what's the matter fry regretting another wasted year and it's just such a it's just it's one of those lines that just feels very futurama to me more so than even simpsons like that's a very futurama line mm. Re- regretting another wasted year i cracked it cracked me up every time i heard it yeah there is always a like a there's a bleakness in Futurama. There's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's a comedy, of course, but it's always kind of dark. Like there's always this, it, it's this, it's this future dystopia really, where there's like suicide booths on the corner, like phone yeah. booths. Yeah. And you know, things are like, like there's just these chaotic robots uh, going around that sometimes casually murder people. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, and a lot, and and, also, yeah. Also there's just sort of tacit, um, acceptance by everyone that fry is useless and 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 full of basically full of regret and doesn't add anything mm-hmm. um that is that's very for that character as well yeah the novelty of fry being from the past is used as a plot point sometimes but it's rarely the crux of like mm-hmm. you know this couldn't happen without fry or in many cases the fact that Fry was there means everything went way worse than it would have if he wasn't. Because right. Leela is just, you know, in, inherently competent. And uh, Bender is evil but very capable. Um, and Fry is just Fry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Fry's, Fry's sort of uselessness is almost like a separate thing from his being from the past. Mm-hmm. It's just what he brings to the table is nothing. And that everybody just sort of accepts that. So her assumption immediately is, oh, you must just be regretting and that you've <laughs> another year of your life has passed where you've done absolutely nothing because that would be the sort of thing that you do, right? Yep. Yep. And he's always self-aware of that too. That's yeah. That's no, it's like, one thing I really like about Fry is that he, he's extremely aware of his own shortcomings and acknowledges them frequently. Yeah. And they all do. It's like, it's like, it's like he's, you know, gluten intolerant and everyone's just aware of that and cool with it. But, this, in this case, it's just he's useless, and we all know that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so after that joke, uh, Santa busts in and um, in the first of the holiday specials, Santa was bo- actually voiced by John Goodman. Mm. But for, for whatever reason, they couldn't get John Goodman back after that. So it's, um, oh, I want to say it's John DiMaggio. Uh, I need to fact check myself on that real quick, but I'm pretty sure it's John DiMaggio doing essentially a John Goodman impression. And in my opinion, a very good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, this is a good time also to reinforce here that this is a musical, this episode, and every yes. single segment also has a character explaining the holiday in some some so forth of musical. Um, and they definitely play with the tropes of sort of musical theater with that, about like setting it up and, and um, if only somebody could explain this in a song and then the <laughs> song starts. And so Santa is the one explaining um, Xmas and that uh, he, I only wrote down a couple lines of the song that it starts with him saying, God rest ye merry, God rest ye merry gentlemen in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts firing a machine gun that is fed by like Christmas lights. that The elves are like feeding into his gun. Mm-hmm. It's great. Matt, how recently have you seen the other, the other um, Futurama holiday specials or well, like, what do you remember from them? Very little of the of those. I mean, for some reason, the, the holiday episodes don't stand out to me. And I don't know that if I have seen this one before mm. you asked me on the show, I don't remember it. So it was. So as a brief recap, um, just for just for just, yeah, just as like a little bit of a recap in the first uh, Xmas story, Futurama episode, um, they explain that in the year 2801, the friendly robotic company built Robot Santa to determine who'd been naughty or nice, and a programming error went wrong, and his standards were set too high, and now he judges everyone naughty. Uh, and I've definitely said this on the other episodes, but it's basically in the year 3000, um, Xmas has become the purge. So it's like right. the one night you, out of the year you do not want to be outside. You have to lock all your doors and windows and plug up your chimney. The the Planet Express uh, has a like metal, a rolling vault door that they put in front of their chimney just yeah. to keep Santa out. Um, and so, yeah, Santa basically explains to them through a song that they need to get a pine tree that's coniferous in order to truly celebrate uh Xmas the way that it's meant to be celebrated. Yeah, and the, the framing here is that Fry feels like, oh, uh, you know, Xmas just doesn't have the same magic that Christmas did from my time. And mm-hmm. then he, he seizes upon this as like, oh, that's what we're missing. We need a tree. We need a real tree. Yeah. Um, and so that they're sort of given a little bit of motivation there. In, in, every, in every of the three stories, somebody who is very invested in the holiday has like is the one pushing the crew towards we got to go do this thing mm. to get this thing so i can celebrate the holiday and in this one it's fry and his longing is for like the christmas of times past and so they in order to uh get a pine a real pine tree they have to travel to the svalbard global seed vault okay we can't we can't pass over one of my other favorite lines from this mm. from this script which is uh you know uh, obviously the, the main obstacle here is that pine trees are extinct and they went extinct to 600 years ago. Um, Leela says, well, maybe there's some way we could bring them back. We resurrected the barking snakes and she holds up a snake that starts barking, right? <laughs> Which is already a great gag, but then it's followed up by the professor saying, 
pine trees aren't barking snakes. They won't just turn up in a salad bar at Olive Garden. And it's just such a great throwaway Futurama line. And then there are also barking snakes that appear real full times throughout the episodes after that, which is a great little touch. Yeah, I was going to say that is a great example of how they create their own joke and then do a callback to that joke later. Because, yeah, when they show up to Svalbard, there are there's like a guard there with barking snakes on leashes. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, the oh. first episode of the first um Christmas special, it's called Xmas special, establishes the ongoing joke in Futurama where, uh, so the reason that they call it Xmas is Fry refers to it as Christmas and then Leela says, oh, that's another example of like things you pronounce weird, like when you say ask instead of axe. And so Mm -hmm. like from then on in Futurama, whenever somebody from the future is talking, they use axe instead of ask. I didn't know that's where that started. That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I love this line before that the the line that like segues them to Norway is the professor saying there is one hope left and as usual it's Norwegian and that <laughs> that cracks me up as well. Um, and then we're then we get to Norway and now this dude's accent, uh, this Norwegian guy's accent, it it's hard to tell if that actor is doing if it's like he's doing Canadian. He's yeah. doing like a straight up Canadian accent and. That was threw me through such a loop that I, I was cracking up and I had to pause the episode the first time. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was a like deliberately bad Norwegian accent or if I'm just ignorant of what a Norwegian accent, that, accent it, should sound like. It definitely does not sound Norwegian to my ears. But okay. <laughs> the, the, I think the only question is, was was it an intentionally bad Norwegian accent that just re- happens to sound like Canadian? But I feel the more likely explanation is this actor said, I don't think I could do Norwegian. I could do Canadian. And then there, I mean, a Canadian accent is funny for this character and it makes his, the line delivery really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, and it, you know, it's just this Canadian Norwegian guy. And yeah. I loved it. And I love that he's just implacable about, you know, whether, uh, whether it's, it's a bad idea that the germ warfare repository is directly next to the global seed vault. Um, and he yeah. just kind of like shrugs that off. And then, they love they love dramatic irony like that in Futurama. So it's sort of like they, like is there any chance that there could have been infe- like the seeds could have been infected, and to have the you know a long pregnant pause and then the the character say no, <laughs> is such a great setup for what you know is coming. Mm-hmm. It's great. And of course, the seeds do get infected immediately, mm-hmm. and he denies it, but they do. Um, and <laughs> and basically the 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 pine trees just propagate at an uncontrollable rate and cover the entire planet. The best uh, part of that, that whole sequence is Leela continuing to say, you know, this, this could be good. This is going to be a good thing. You know what? Yeah. This could be a good thing. And it, it, the worse it gets, the more she's like, you know, trying to find the positive spin of it. Um, and I love that. Like even, even when human society has been almost wiped out and there's trees covering the planet, she's still, you know, actually, arguably, mm-hmm. this could be a good thing. It's it's kind of like in uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, when Cap is trying to trying to be all like silver lining about, oh yeah, you know, I heard there's like whales in the East River and like there's more 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 like animal life coming back and um, and I think it's Black Widow that calls him out and is like, not right now, like let's we don't need this right now, <laughs> uh, but she's not entirely wrong that like this could be a good thing. 
that I mean, basically in this in the year 3000 of Futurama, the whole planet has pretty much been deforested or at least pine trees are extinct. And so, yeah, she's not wrong that it could be a good thing. But of course, it all goes wrong because they're now that they're covering the whole planet, they're creating too much oxygen, uh, which leads to the conclusion of the episode, uh, which is basically Bender lighting a, a cigar and the entire planet goes up in flames instantaneously. That, the moment really works for me because uh, Bender isn't that involved in this first section at all. And you almost kind of forget he's there. And then he suddenly butts in to be like, I haven't, done, he says specifically, you know what? I haven't done anything in a while, but I think I deserve a cigar. <laughs> it's sort of like, <laughs> and here I am to put the button on the episode. It's great. Mm-hmm. I also love when the, they realize that all of the trees are now counteracting global warming. Uh, that's the introduction to Al Gore in this episode. And because mm-hmm. the professor says, happy now, Gore. And obviously, if you've seen the show before, you, you kind of expect Al Gore could show up at any moment. But it could be a rhetorical thing. And then and then Al Gore answers and is there and like shows up. And it's it's a great entrance. Yeah. And I'm, I'm it, it really it, it's delightful to me that Al Gore is like humble enough to to like to allow himself to be parodied and provide his own voice for the parody of himself. Yeah. 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 There's some great, I mean, and, and some, some pretty straight solid jokes. Like, yeah, I am happy. I'd be happier if I had lungs. <laughs> One of the many times the Futurama heads just like gets to gripe about being a head in the jar. And it's still funny every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the capper of this episode is Santa flying by in his sleigh saying, ho, 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 everyone's dead. Stay tuned for another episode. Uh, and then it just happens. It escalates so quickly. Mm-hmm. I think from the time that they like plant from the time that the, uh, so president Nixon comes and takes the tree and puts it in the white house lawn. We, mm-hmm. And from like, from that moment to everybody blowing up in Detroit is like two minutes or something. It, it escalates very quickly and then that, it's over. It's crazy. Cause they, they like, like we said, they pack three whole shorts into this basically 21 minute episode. So in, in the span of seven minutes, they introduce this whole concept. Mm. They tell the whole story and they conclude it very definitively. Uh, I think after this one, you sort of expect they're going to kill everybody at the end of all of them. But like this happens yeah. so quickly and so abruptly. And then it, it's like a commercial break, obviously mm-hmm. outro. So he's like, well, everyone's dead. Ho, ho, ho. Come back. It's it's a great it's a great sudden gag. Um, and then we come back for our second section, uh, which you said you mentioned that Bender was notably more or less like in the background for the first part. Uh, so this this second section is all about Bender. And it's all, all about, about robots, too. So robots. I think this is where this is where this is like the get to the meat of of your your bread and butter here. The meat of your bread and butter, which is a phrase I just made up. Well, and, and that's um, how you make a sandwich, right? You got meat, bread and, and some butter kind of, on your meat. Uh, maybe you could put butter on. I don't know. <laughs> some people. Eat, what's the difference between functionally? What's the difference between butter and mayonnaise on a sandwich? Like, let's be real. I mean, you raise a valid point. <laughs> um, so. So Matt, I always ask uh, every guest based on like the theme of what we're reviewing, either what is a robot or what is a dinosaur. So I'd like to know in your own words, since we're at the like robot heavy section of this episode, what is a robot? So I'm I'm gonna be horribly like pedantic here and sort of 
because I do think this discussion about like what a robot is or like what artificial intelligence is in sort of the real world sense is very interesting, but we're talking about Futurama and we're talking about Bender. Mm -hmm. And so what Bender as a robot is, is very different than what like Hal from 2001 as a robot is right. Um, Bender falls into the category of robot. It's one of my favorite kind of kinds of like uh, fictional robots where what Bender Bender the very design of the character visually is meant is not meant to invoke like actual technology or like um like so I'm more I'm interested in like what is a robot in terms of what how does a robot work in a story how does a robot work in a in a fictional world right okay um so I put him in the sort of the same sort of category as uh, well, C-3PO and droids in general from Star Wars and my favorite robot from any fork of fiction, which is Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Good choice. Um, so they all, in a sense, are like they, – they extend uh, – they, they kind of mirror back to us aspects of, the, of a human experience. Um, they're sort of like the ventriloquist dummy or um, – you know, the, the, in some ways, it's this weird thing where we've made these robots that then act like us, and then we like see ourselves in that, right? Like, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of robot fictions about we made them. They're like, they're, you know, there's a lot of like parent-child metaphors brought up about I've created this thing, and in a lot of ways, how the, the central question of any robot story is how much are they like us, and in what ways, um, and that's good or bad. Um, so in this case, what you what do you see? What do we see of ourselves in this in the robot? In uh, for C three PO, it's it's anxiety and fear. It's it's for for Marvin, it's the depression and nihilism and pessimism, right? Mm-hmm. And and then Bender specifically is just our pure id, just our pure pride. like animal instinct. Yeah. There's the pride, but there's just like raw. Um, like all the raw urges are there. Yeah. Right? I will do what I want because yeah. I, because it's the next thing I want to do and I don't care who it affects. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is going to get into this, this part of the section here because uh, this is, there's a reason why when Bender, part of Bender's personality is so, I mean, he's, he's extremely heterosexual to the point of like uh, almost being a, almost being a, a, a parody Mm-hmm. Um, and he's ex- and he's extremely mis- misogynistic, and he has all of these bad qualities that work for me because it's him, because he's a robot, because it's not he's not a person. Like he's a robot imitating that behavior, or like, re- and in in that reflection, it feels like a parody of that behavior, and it it makes me laugh more than if a human were doing that. Would you that make say, sense? yeah? Would you say he's a robot? He definitely he definitely is a robot, uh-huh. and it, and it feels like. It feels like we are so. So this is why, you know, the central the central gag of this section is that the the oil for Robonica is is to oil up the female robot wrestlers for six and a half weeks of breath of oil wrestling, and that would not be funny in any other context to me except that they're robots, uh-huh. and that's that's what allows it to be. The fact that we have maybe have have created it's just like you hear all these algorithms that that 
imitate our own biases. We've created this this thing that then shows us our worst behavior back at us. Yeah. Yeah, that I think that's really interesting because I something I've talked about on previous episodes is how very much like what you're saying, we build robots in science fiction movies and stuff usually in our own image and usually it's our idealized self. So they're te- they you know, we tend to build them to be stronger, faster than a typical human, but also we eliminate bad the bad impulses or thing impulses that we consider bad and so like just the very fact that bender is an addict right Mm -hmm. like he and he does drugs and he needs booze to function and all of the robots in futurama do they all need booze to function even down to tinny tim uh (laughs) but like it's that's one of my favorite things about futurama is that these are not idealized robots. Every single one of them has a major character flaw, at least one major character flaw. They also operate, you know, in a lot of, in a similar way that droids do in Star Wars, where, yeah. um, you know, Star Wars is really a fantasy, not a science fiction. And so the droids serve as sort of a, a fictional race in a lot of the way that elves and orcs do for Tolkien, right? Yeah. So they're just like another, and, uh, so in Futurama, and in this, that makes sense for this episode especially, there are often stand-ins for different cultures, different um, – they, they have they're, – they're their own subsection of the, of the population with their own sort of history and practices and um, culture. And that's, there's a lot of fun to be played with there by the writers. Um, and they are very explicitly doing that here by overlapping them with Jewish culture. Um, so that's, that's, that's sort of what Bender, Bender himself serves as a, a certain role and then robots as a kind of an underclass or a subclass of the, just the general population. This is a, I mean, this is a world where aliens are walking down the street too, and it's not a big deal. And robots are just like another, like a race in this fantasy, right? Not only that, but a, a, an alien and a human are co-anchors for the like the major news station. So yeah, it's right. a very very casual. There's also like casually mutants running around and living in the sewers and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's a very fun uh, kind of catch-all future, but it also has very not specific rules, but it does have rules. It does have consistent things uh, that it, right establishes and, and keeps consistent throughout the series. But I love um, the the retro futuristic style of it all. And I do think that mm. the way that the robots are so clearly robots and aren't there's no attempt made to make the like robots you could never mistake a robot for a human in the Futurama world really, yeah. right? They're so they have this sort of really old school look of what like maybe what we used to think robots would look like, right? Very retro future. Um that's that's an that's an intentional thing by Wanting to really call attention to their robotness, I think, is an important part of how they function on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and and Robonica is actually something that um, Bender Bender invented off the cuff in a previous episode just to get out of work. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, Fry is sort of challenging him when he's trying. I forget what it is that he's trying to get out of this time, but. Fry is like, if it's a, if Robonica is real, how come there's no song that explains how to celebrate? And of course, Bender says that's, that's because there is a song. That's because, yeah. And he, and he breaks into it. And, well, he makes them play the music for it. Right. 
Yep. They, they he's hidden the the instruments underneath their uh, chairs and threatens them. And uh, this also this song introduces uh, a really great little mini mini gag of a one note robot, the Droidal, that is rigged to make you pay. Uh, and they show, mm. I think, Hermes spinning this the droidal, and it lands, and the droidal itself extends a little, like, arm to flip itself over. <laughs> yeah, and there's even a lyric in this song about, like, hold on, I'm, I, like, this, I'm going to keep you busy so while I have time to keep making up the rules as I go. Like, they're really <laughs> trying to play with the fact that, and again, I think they're what they're leaning into here, which kind of works for this section, and up for debate about the next section is that if this is coming across as offensive to Hanukkah and the actual, uh, you know, faith of Judaism, uh, well, this is just Bender and he's making this up and he's offensive and that's just, it comes with the package. And I think they're hiding behind that a little bit here. Um, but, but that's what they do. That's what, and then all three of them are making fun of the holidays associated a little bit, um, in a kind of a light Futurama way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and typically in Futurama, a lot uh, Zoidberg is kind of like, I don't know how the right way to word this, but he's often he's often the one delivering any jokes that are a reference to Judaism or mm-hmm. you know, like and his his name being Zoidberg is is meant yeah. to be like, you know, like a like a off the cuff. I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know the right way to word it, but like he Zoidberg, the character is not. Jewish, as far as I can remember from uh, Futurama, I'm not even I'm not 100 percent sure if that but is like a lot acknowledged of... one way or another at any point. Not that I remember, but you're right. There's a lot of trope, a lot of the, a lot of the sort of comedic tropes get put on him. But um, here, I mean, even the song itself and like the the sound of it, it they're really they're really leaning in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to go all the way for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and the the whole concept of the holiday and how that mirrors the the story of Hanukkah and the, and wanting needing needing oil in both cases you need oil and you need to stretch the oil a, the a longer amount of time than what you have for but the purpose for which that oil is being used is so insane mm-hmm. um, that that I think they're they're leaning into this is so ridiculous and this is so clearly from the mind of this deranged robot that. Um, you can't even possibly find it offensive. Hopefully, yeah. yeah it it, go, it goes so far past the line that it boomerangs back to like, okay, yeah, this is just right. flagrantly over the top. And I think they try that as well in the Kwanzaa section, and and uh, it, it will be interesting to compare them. To compare yeah, the, the Kwanzaa two. section might be a little less successful. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, another couple robots that are introduced in this episode are the Fembots, Ruth and Esther. Um, and like you said, they they need uh, they need to in order to traditionally observe Robonica, oil wrestle for six and a half weeks, but they only have enough oil for four and a half weeks. And so, I love Leela says four and a half weeks of of oil wrestling sounds like plenty, Bender. And he says <laughs> his response is, "This is no lousy reform, Robonica." And I love that. Huh? I love that. Yes, he just made it up. And it is he has he has no emotional attachment to this holiday at all because he just made it up. But he's still a- absolutely adamant that we have to play by the rules that he made up, um, which feels very in keeping with Bender's personality. Sure, absolutely. Would you agree also though that like a, a robot 
processes things faster than a human brain does. So for him, even though he just made it up, uh, he might be, you know, experiencing maybe like a fast forward of, of, um, well, this, this, this section specifically has a, has a plot point about how robots process time that will be interesting to talk about. So yes, because he so they dig down to the center of the earth. Uh, Wait, the, we have we we have to we have to cover my favorite lines in the section before we mm. jump ahead. Um, they they find out that they we've run out of petroleum oil, right? And they learn about how petroleum oil gets made. It, it, organic matter needs to be under pressure for millions of years. Fry has one of his best lines in the whole episodes when he's like. Millions of years. I can't wait that long. I've got ADD, which is <laughs> so good. It's such a fry line. And then one of the like, I was, I was, I didn't know how I felt about the the fembots. The, like the concept of them, but their their portrayal was feeling a little bit tropey to me. And then mm-hmm. one of them says, "I can't, I can't wrestle dry bender. I went to Vassar." And I <laughs> fell off my chair laughing. It was such a dumb joke. And it's one of those jokes that you could just miss so easily if you're not really listening. Oh um, but it made me very happy. Yeah. Uh, and also there's a, there's a, I guess just background detail of like, they do find uh dino- or they at least describe like dinosaurs turn into petroleum oil. So I guess we can sort of talk about dinosaurs in this episode. <laughs> Matt, what is a dinosaur? So again, if we talk about like what function does a dinosaur serve in a story where robots are like uh, often a reflection on being a parent or being playing God even, mm. um, or, or um, you know, creating a thing that then turns against you. I mean, I love part of what I loved about Battlestar Galactica was they really leaned into this idea of like, um, I I created a thing that then that then turned against me like and there's a lot of parent child sort of metaphors being used there. R- dinosaurs are a whole other thing. Dinosaurs are a, a callback to a time when humans were not in charge of the earth. Mm. They're a scary other thing. They're higher on the food uh, the food chain than we are, and we are now in the position of like just fragile little prey having to like run for cover. So they're like a fear of. I like a primal fear of nature. Uh, uh, and, they, and it's like a whole other whole other ball of wax. And they both arguably exist as like a fear that we have of like a planet without us, a planet that doesn't need us or that mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to cohabitate with these these creatures, whether it's dinosaurs that are so big and they would eat us or robots that are so advanced beyond us that they don't need us around anymore. Right. Dinosaurs being like what came before us and robots being what would come after us. Yeah. yeah it's very true. Yeah. One, um, but one, one is our fault specifically. One is our creation. Right. Yes. And then the other one is just the raw primal mother nature. Um, that's way beyond our control to even, or you know, we, we were able to tame everything else. And I think the dinosaur serves in as like, something we would not have been able to to tame i mean that is exactly what jurassic park is it's like look we've, we've, we've even conquered you know the greatest creatures of our of of earth's past and then the whole point is that nope you can't actually humans can't can't keep this in check yeah and the upcoming jurassic world dominion is promising that premise that basically these dinosaurs that we've created are now loose on the whole planet and they're gonna they're threatening to take over um 
Yeah, in a way, it's in a way they're just leaning in all the way to what's always been sort of the the tension in the Jurassic Park series. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited, uh, but this is not the Jurassic World Dominion podcast, unfortunately, because <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. Um, this is Futurama. So they drill down to the center of the Earth. They uh, they tunnel into a tunnel. Um, <laughs> there, there there are there are two throwaway jokes right here that are a good example of what i was saying about how they we didn't need this what was why is this here we took time to animate this um they're drilling through and they're like look mole coffins and then like <sighs> coffins full of mole skeletons just start hitting the windshield Brilliant. and that's it that's the whole gag and it really it's just amazing to me that that that, that somebody pitched it, somebody else said, yeah, let's keep it. And then they animated in the little mole skeletons. Like, it's just such a random throwaway thing. And it's not even that funny, but I still am glad it's there. It is great, yeah. It is such a great little gag. And like you said, not it doesn't need to be there. And it's, it requires almost no setup. Um, you, and it's a blink and you miss it joke, but it's really good. Yeah. And what then there's the second like, one. The second one is, and this is like a class, I love these kind of, these kind of uh, language jokes, you know, you know, I love these kind of language jokes. Mm-hmm. So they run into the albino humping worm, mm-hmm. right? It coming up behind them. Like it's the albino humping worm. And then Fry says, why do they call it that? And the whole ship starts rocking. Right. And then the professor says, because it doesn't have any pigment. It's just, it's like, it's one of those, you know, it's such a formulaic joke. It's classic, but it really works for me every time. And in mm-hmm. that case, crack me up. Yep. Um, and okay, so in this one, uh, how does everybody die? In the first one, they all died because Bender lit a cigar and the world was over oxygenated. Uh, so, how do they all die in this episode, in this segment of the episode? Well, first of all, I want to mention too that uh, Leela calls right before that they die, Leela calls uh, Bender a junkyard golem, which is a nice <laughs> little like Jewish culture reference to throw at him. Uh-huh. Um, I thought that was nice because that 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 felt like uh, using the culture rather than just making it like the 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 trappings. Um, and then, I what I, what I particularly love about how they die is that right before it happens, <laughs> Bender has a moment of like you know maybe it doesn't it doesn't really matter if we get the oil or not it's fine. And then the whole ship gets like crushes and they're instantly all die. And immediately he says, not my fault. Like completely <laughs> absolving himself of any responsibility. Yeah. It's uh and then he is basically he's down there for what? 5,000 years. I think 500 million years. He's 500 million years. Yes. Okay. Cause they, they, they stressed earlier that it takes millions of years to make petroleum and essentially right. his, all, the whole crew, the whole main cast of Futurama is being crushed for those millions of years. And by the time he realizes how much time has passed, um, they've become oil. <laughs> but like Fry's hair is still existent. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But um, it's interesting because so Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide also like gets left behind and like lives for millions of years kind of on his own. And they kind of reconnect with him later on. And those millions of years have only like like he felt every single one of them and, and they've really, he's basically the same, but just worse because now he's had, he's like lived this insanely long life. Uh, and by the time that character dies, spoilers for later in the series, that kind of character dies. He's, they speculate he's three or four times the, the age of the universe because of all the time travel he's been loops he's been in. Right. Um, the, 
what I love is that Bender's such an opposite case where like for him, he was able to zone out and just chill for 500 million years and didn't even notice. He was sort of like, Oh, Oh, I do. He's singing a little song about how great he is and 500 million years have passed and he just barely even noticed it. And that also feels like, yeah, completely. You buy that from him. And then when he gets back, uh, he discovers that Ruth and Esther are still 500 million years later, still oil wrestling which is, of course, a Robonica miracle. Mm-hmm. And, it, there's, and then it, it pans out while he's saying that. So you can see that the city of New New York is completely a wasteland. The ocean is gone. Uh, and he, so, so he's screaming it's a miracle while you see that the earth is like desolate and empty now. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. Do you think the fembots continued wrestling because that's what they're programmed to do? Or do you think like, I don't know, is there, is there any other reason? <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Maybe he did mention that they have illegal five-speed groins earlier on in the song, <laughs> um, which cracked me up as well. Uh, it's one of those things that's like, again, something about them being robots allows it to like allows you to just sort of roll with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like they, it, it, it's it's also, but it it also just felt like the exactly the the ending that you would guess is going to happen when he. When he heads back with the oil, he finally got the thing that you would expect the most from Futurama is that it wouldn't matter after all anyway. Like, none of it mattered. Like, nobody needed to die. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do love the self-aware way which wish they outro to the commercial at the end of this one because they're like, oh, stay tuned for more thoughtful interfaith hijinks. And it's like, <laughs> they know. They know they're pushing the line and they're, like, kind of making fun of uh, everybody. So they just, again, there's a lot of times Futurama does that. They just sort of, they just lean into that. They, if they're anxious about something, they just lean in. They do. And the next thing they lean into is, of course, the yeah. Kwanzaa bot. Uh, now, segment. Lou, I have to say, I already felt a little underqualified to discuss uh, Robonica. And, uh, the, the, and I definitely feel out of my element here and underqualified to discuss how they handle Kwanzaa. Well, let's just let's talk about the let's just talk about the segment itself and not try yeah. to. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think either of us are qualified to like educate anybody about Kwanzaa. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say that a recurring the, one of the most recurring gags in this section is making is sort of making fun of Kwanzaa as being kind of a made up and semi recent thing. Um, yes, but I would argue not making fun of it's not making fun of Kwanzaa. It's sort of making fun of the cultural like reception to Kwanzaa and the fact that it's it goes largely ignored, unfortunately. Right. And most people don't well, know like the basic principles of it. Certainly, certainly. Well, I've heard from mo- lots of people that they feel like it was it's anyway. the The point being that that's a recurring gag, and it doesn't they don't really seem to get old of that. Like I was just sort of calling attention to that to that newness of it. Um, yeah. But I wonder a, if that's, there's a gag here where Quan, somebody says, you know, when does Kwanzaa end? And Kwanzaa bot says, Kwanzaa bot himself says, who the hell knows? Right. Right. Yeah. So there's, 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 a, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, but it, and it's on the surface level, it follows the same basic plot of all the other ones. Right. So it starts with um, the whole crew going over, um to Hermes. Hermes, yeah, starts, and, Hermes and La Barbara. There is a line in this opening section that is like the most 
Lou line ever, and I made a note of it. And I was like, it's like you wrote it yourself. And I bet you even know which one I'm talking about. Is it enjoy Gunderson's unshelled nuts, except lot number 34B, and now the unrelated conclusion? <laughs> no, that does sound a lot like you, I, I admit. But I'm talking about uh, later on, Hermes says, sweet candelabra of La Habra, La Barbara. And that kind of just like rhyming wordplay is very, very Lou to me. I love that about Hermes. Uh, I think one of his early ones is also in an Xmas episode, Sweet Lion of Zion. Um, those are and every single one of them is a gem and i'm always impressed that they like can continue coming up with new ones for hermes yeah it's great um oh the zoidberg is not really in this whole episode all that much true um and he does have (laughs) again like a throwaway dumb line in this section that i love where uh kwanzaa bot says zoidberg lay down a beat and Zoidberg says, how about I just lay down? And he lies down. And it's such a, it's like a lazy joke. And sometimes I appreciate a lazy joke. I don't know. Like, it's just, it just feels right for Zoidberg to say. Yeah, it's not lazy. It's efficient. It's an efficient joke. No, I mean, it is like, it's like, there's nothing to that joke. And and I what I, what I admire and what I, what I admire about Futurama and I don't do with my own kind of comedy writing is it's like, sometimes that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. You 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 want to read everything you want to read into everything or think everything needs to be like super clever or like work or shock expectations or work on multiple levels. But this is as simple as like lay down a beat. How about I just lay down? And I loved it. So it can be that simple sometimes. A couple of the details I really liked in this segment. Um, one, Barbados Slim makes a very very quick appearance, and he's a he's a great character from a previous episode. Also, Hermes's son is reading a comic book, and it's it's titled Captain Yesterday, and I just <laughs> love that little that little detail. I didn't see that. Yeah, it's great. I, like I love that Barbados Slim sort of flirts with Zoidberg too. Uh-huh. Like he has a whole thing about like he's just sort of down for he's kind of a Captain Jack character, so he's like down for anybody and anything, any race, any species, and uh, that's just like a that's Zoidberg in a position that we don't often see him in, like being hit on, right? Yep. <laughs> and, and he's just as confused as we we are. Um, so then Kwanzabat, voiced by Coolio, uh, tells us uh, in, in a song, of course, about the seven basic principles of Kwanzaa. Well, um, two or three of them. Two or three. Yeah, he doesn't really <laughs> yeah. get through all seven. <laughs> he doesn't seem to know all seven. And that's like part of the gag. That's like part of the gag they keep doing. And what's really funny is, uh, so I'm g- I have like a primer that I opened up about like what are the actual seven principles of Kwanzaa, mm-hmm. um, and so they are uh, Umoja, which is unity. Uh, Kucha, man, I, pr- I probably shouldn't try to pronounce these. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, Lou, are you you really sure you want to do that? Yeah, I might cut that, but the. Bi- <laughs> <laughs> I but mean, the bi- I, I admire you for trying. The bit I wanted to get to is uh, Kwanzaabat in his song talks about one of them, which is Naya. And it's re- what it really is, his purpose. But in, in the song, he describes it as something about pine trees and oil wrestling. So right. it calls back to the two previous segments. Right. And Farnsworth calls him out on it immediately. Like you're just you're just uh, plagiarizing from other holidays now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And. <laughs> Um, so one of the things, basically the catalyst for like where this episode is going is that uh, in order to properly celebrate Kwanzaa, they need to have um, beeswax candles. 
And I think LaBarbera says, you know, we, we don't have any. We just have these regular wax candles. So they have to find bees to get some beeswax. And this sets up my favorite joke in the episode. Do you know which one I'm referring to? I don't know, but but that this is my favorite character. And Petunia. I loved every, I, every second. Uh, this is my favorite character, especially of this episode. And I do seem to remember... Maybe I didn't know she had a name, but I do remember this character popping up now and then Futurama. Mm. Is that is she like a regular? Yes, Petunia is an absolute gem. I am not 100% sure who voices her. I'm going to find out real quick because I really want to credit. It's, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Um, the, uh, God. The, the joke is her billboard at her Petunia's oh. self-serve bee farm mine your own beeswax i didn't even see that lou that's so good <laughs> you should watch you should it's worth watching mine, the episode mine your own it. beeswax that's mine great. your own beeswax and uh so petunia is voiced by tress mcneil who's a regular on the show and uh she also does the voice of tinny tim and several other characters that's great um yeah this character is so good like i love um, she says they're they're all acting like they've been drinking Tang and cough syrup, or as I like to call it, my Friday night. And it's just like one of these great. <laughs> it's really great. Oh, also, die young, leave a pretty corpse. That's what I say. And then Bender just says, "You should say something else." <laughs> it's. I I when she said that, I knew that it felt like it was setting up for some joke, and there are. A lot of ways you could respond to that joke in a way that would just be mean, but mm-hmm. Bender just saying you should say something else is perfect. It is mean, but but that is kind of the tone of Futurama a lot of times. Is like the characters are just openly mean to each other. Right, but there's mean that's funny and mean that's not. And I think yes. you should say something else is a very funny kind of mean. Yeah. It is. Real quick, Tress McNeil, I just saw this on her IMDb page. Uh, famously, Dot Warner from the Animaniacs. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is my yeah, first you know time what? realizing that. I can kind of hear that now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of our one of our best voice actors. Um, so the uh, Petunia's self-serve bee farm doesn't work out because there's been um, worldwide colony collapse and all of the bees have been infected with, I think, blood-sucking mites. Uh, I mean, to me, it seems very optimistic to think that the bees are going to make it to the year 3000 anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah. uh, but I do like that in this case, they switched it up a little bit. It's not, it would be very easy to have been like, well, bees are all extinct. Just like there's no more oil and there's no more pine trees. But in this case, there's a specific like infection of some kind. Right. And they, uh, the only option that they have is to go to the one place uh, that they vowed they would never, ever go again. Uh, the space beehive with the giant such killer a- space bees. That's such a great, that's a, that's a, that's an incredibly Futurama moment to me as well. When they're like, it's that place we swear we'd never go back to. And immediately the professor says, let's go back there. Uh, they love, also, they love to do it. They set up a, uh, what I think is a reference to the Simpsons where Bender is kind of like painted or wearing a costume to look like a bee. And it's very reminiscent of the Bumblebee man from, uh, Simpsons. Oh, 100%. You can't see a bee costume in, in like that kind of Matt Grenning animation style and not think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they show up and the bees are, they're kind of like lethargic and kind of crashing into each other. Wait, uh, Lou, I know you're not going to move over this line where they say it's, it's quiet, too quiet. And then Fry says, 
like the deadly Prius. <laughs> like what? I love it. It's like I I I don't I don't know why it's funny, but it's very funny. It is that is a good one. I I was gonna pass over that. That's why I'm glad you're my co-host today. Yes. Well, I I wrote down all of my favorite lines that made me laugh. So I'll make I, and, sure. And so it's like we were saying though; these episodes are so dense with those things. Actually, I I think I skipped over that because the one the next one I wrote down was Hermes saying, "It's time to African Americanize these bees." <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, there was a, there's like a throw, there's a throwaway gag before that though, where he's like on his, he's, he's got some kind of computer that will sort of show him where the wax is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what do you, what do you see? And he's like, oh, there's a Jamba juice, like (laughs) over down that way. It was like, again, another one of those things that somebody just pitched it Mm -hmm. and I, and I made it into the episode, you know, there's a Jamba juice over there. Um, And like, again, Starbucks would have been the easy kind of lazy choice for that kind of a joke, but Jamba Juice is such a specific poll. I love it. Yeah, yeah. This is, Futurama is such a fun, like, sandbox for Matt Groening. Um, I think, like, previous guests and I talked about how, like, the Halloween episodes of The Simpsons always felt like um, them giving themselves the, the creative freedom to just do whatever they want with this world because it mm. is a cartoon. And Futurama always feels like it's a cartoon world and they can kind of just throw in whatever they want. But this episode in particular takes that to, to the next degree, um, especially with all of them dying at the end. Uh, so how does there, well, everybody die in this one? Well, there was going to say that that what I love about Futurama, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of times where there's like anachronistic jokes. And you see that a lot if in things that are supposedly set in the past, but they make modern references. Mm-hmm. But this is set in way future, but they still refer to things we know about, like Jamba Juice. And that just makes it pedestrian and funny that there's a Jamba Juice. And not a Prius. Only, not, a Jamba Juice and a Prius, not only in the year 3000, but in a giant space beehive. Like, yeah. It's the juxtaposition between the insane and the mundane. Well, I guess technically Fry, a Prius is from Fry's time. And maybe that, right. like, he's the only one that mentions it. So <laughs> The deadly Prius. Yeah. Deadly. Oh, so so the, we see all of the the... We find out that the all of the bees are acting crazy because they're also infected by the same thing, and one of one of the we see several pairs of bees in arguments, and one of them is just doing a flat up, straight up like, "You sting my wife, you sting my wife," and um, again, feels like an obvious joke, but works coming out of the mouth of like a giant space bee. Very mm-hmm. funny to me. Yep. Uh, and so yeah, the uh, the bees are uh, converging on everybody. They're going to kill them all. And um, man, I forget how this is set up, but but basically Kwanzaabot does the Kool-Aid man crash through the wall <laughs> to save the day and then is immediately killed. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, but then they, they, this is very much in the spirit of the sort of the irreverent nature of the, of the not just this episode, but Futurama in general, where... Um, we're going to give Hermes like an inspiring speech that's so effective and so beautiful. Like it's like, you know, the holiday special moment where we like learn a lesson based on the holiday and it changes. Like that's how we resolve the conflict. It gives a beautiful speech. It's so beautiful. And it's so wonderful that the, the bees give up their hatred of each other. The parasites, it, the parasites just die because they can't handle how good everybody is now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, over the top, the ability that he has to sway the bees with the speech, but in curing them, 
it turns out that that restores them to their previous, you know, bloodthirsty nature. It backfires. And, yeah. Cause now they're unified, which is such a Futurama thing to be like, okay, cool. You, you, we're going to give you the beautiful holiday speech that changes the ending, but now, but that actually sealed your fate and it didn't matter. Now you're all dead. And it is, uh, it is thematic with what, what they're like, what, with this section of it too, because all of the, uh, the basic principles of Kwanzaa, pretty much like circle around unity, um, collective responsibility, cooperative economics and things like that. So Mm -hmm. having Hermes be the one to give this speech to a collectivist society of bees, and that's what makes them like become unified again and become a hive mind again is very, very interesting and a very- They they achieve their goals just fine. And and this visual of, so the vast visual of the episode is all of them covered in beeswax being lit on they are the candles of kwanzaa mm-hmm. um being burned is very gruesome um and that's like that's how we decided to end like well there's like the outro where with the kind of framing device outro but that's like the end of this segment is all of them on fire yeah and i i wrote it down that like it just so happens that there are seven main characters uh that they could use as these candles it's amy bender fry then hermes right in the middle Zoidberg, Leela, and Professor Farnsworth. Yeah, and I don't know I wonder, how serendipitous that is or deliberate. Well, I mean, th- those are those that that would be what I would describe as the main cast already, and they had to, you know. So, so in that case, at what point did they realize, hey, this this matches up perfectly. We could do this. Yeah, because um, like you know, yeah, because like you could easily you could leave out like Scruffy and you can leave out uh, Nibbler, oh, right? We didn't even talk about how Scruffy got killed in this episode. He, I like, forgot he was he, even in it. What, what was so, he? So it happens in uh, the, the first section, and uh, after during the whole, you know, you don't see him at all during the the attack by the Santa Bot, but then after he leaves, Scruffy's lying there on the floor dead, and Fry says he kicks he kicks Scruffy's body a little bit and says, well. You know, Santa may have killed Scruffy, but he does make a good point. And that's like all that's that's the only time it's brought up. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Um, Okay, Matt, before we move on to the next section, do you have any other notes or anything you want to say about this episode of Futurama? I will say that uh, my favorite Al Gore line may be at the end here when he says um, he's sort of like, you know, There'll be great. There'll be lots of uh, great future episodes with starring all of your friends from Futurama and me, Al Gore, as Captain Lance Starman. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like Matt Grinning, or do you think the writers were like, Al Gore's going to do it? He's actually going to do it? What can what can we write and get Al Gore to say that is like that he would agree to say that would be very entertaining for us ourselves personally to hear him read, (laughs) like. Al Gore calling himself Captain Lance Starman seems like something that would tickle them. Yeah, I want to. I want to say Al Gore has appeared on like four or five episodes of Futurama, something like that. Um, so yeah, it's I, for yeah. me personally, writing words for Al Gore to say aloud would never get old, and I would always be thinking that's true of any politician, probably like. I get to control what they say, especially I get to, when they say something silly. Especially when he's been on before, and you know he's game for it. Like you know yes. he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a good sport and not be too prideful about it. And yeah, right, Captain Lance Starman. It's just, it's great. It's like the you know just generic sci-fi hero name that they had to come up with. Yep. Uh, all right, so Matt, are you ready for lose big three? 
I'm so ready, Lou. Hit me. All right. Cue the music. Lose Big Three. It's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. And oh my gosh, that was such a great theme song, right? Amazing. Um, Loved it. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's Lose Big Three. Lose Big Three. Number one. Um, we talked about uh, Bender. And we talked about the fembots and um, whether or not they do things that they do because they're programmed to. And I guess this is a sort of a general question about like droids. You mentioned C-3PO, and I think that's a good example to use for this question. Um, But ultimately, is Bender programmed to be evil or is it a byproduct of him being sentient to some degree and just sort of developing that as a trait like c-3po i think you said like what he kind of represents is anxiety and uh the alan rickman robot from hitchhiker's guide i forgot his name um, marvin marvin yeah represents sort of depression but were were those robots was c-3po programmed to be highly anxious and nervous was Marvin programmed to be depressed or is that like they're so advanced and their minds are so advanced that they've developed this trait in over the ca- time? In the case of Marvin, that the latter is definitely true where he became depressed because well, he was, he was given a human personality and that made him depressed. And I think that's, that's a way for uh, Douglas Adams to like make fun of us and like, our yeah. um, it's in star Wars. It's difficult to think of anybody programming a droid. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, which is why it was so jarring to me to see Anakin building C-3PO in Phantom Menace. Like, uh-huh. it's just, they don't feel like robots in the traditional sense where, like, somebody made them and programmed them. They feel like they are alive in their own sort of mechanic, like, you know, metal, metallic way. Um, so it's hard, like, it, C-3PO doesn't feel programmed to me. That that feels like his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess I'd say the same is true of about Bender. Um, it's like robots were given human personalities in this Futurama world, and and Bender collected all of the worst like human tropes. He collected all the worst human impulses. Um, so that that feels like distinctive to him over time as an outgrowth of you know. I, I seem to remember there were Futurama episodes that go into like when he was made and like young Bender mm-hmm. a little bit. So I don't remember the details. I don't want to get it, get it wrong, but it does feel more like that, that has evolved and only strengthened over time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that there is like a nice episode that would answer that question definitively, but I guess I'm more asking like your, mm. your observation of like robots in fiction and, um, I think I yeah I think it depends on the, the 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 work and I think that in Futurama robots um robots are like a, a commentary on on humans and yeah. where, like they exist to I mean they all kind of do that there's hedonism bot that is like that represents that mm-hmm. uh, element as well and even the little tiny Tim robot what's his name Tiny is Tim. like is like some little aspect of human humanity that has been put inside this little robot for us to to see and interact with. Um, they're almost like puppets that way too. Like they, the ventriloquist is like is able to like externalize a part of himself into the the dummy and then have an argument with that, and we like buy it and there's back and forth. And I think that that's 
robots, especially in Futurama, but in a lot of things kind of play that same role. That's a really good point. Lose big three, number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of robots, um, will robots eventually take over the planet slash inherit the planet because we went extinct due to our own hubris? Yeah, well, this this gets into um, what a robot is in like the real world, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't, I have a hard time imagining like the sort of uh, Isaac Asimov robot that looks like us and sort of walks around uh, yeah. that, that I think would capture the imagination. Because that's um, the third option is a Futurama world where we coexist and cohabitate with humanoid robots that have personalities, right. which doesn't right, seem realistic. It feels more like, you know, certainly you get to get AI involved and AI controlling various things. Um, that's another reality. So there's, there aren't anything there aren't any like human shaped machines walking around, but we have a Earl, we have a world that's full of things connected to the internet that are being run by AI and humans are dead. That, that, that seems more plausible to me now than like, uh, yeah, like I said, the Isaac Asimov kind of, uh, uh, future. Mm. Uh, Which is, have you, have you covered, have you covered, um, what was that Robin Williams movie based on Isaac Asimov? Man. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it was my first time watching that movie and I was blown away. I loved it as a teen when it came out. I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, I think it, I would have to see it now, but it was kind of cheesy, but I was into cheesy stuff back then. It is kind of cheesy, but I like it a lot. And I think that that's a really good exploration of, of that's like the Isaac Asimov kind of angle into the robot question. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it, it's very it is very cheesy, but it, it leans into that to basically like use it as a storytelling device. Like it's not trying to, I mean, it does get nuanced, but it's not trying to be bigger than it is. It's not trying to be, it's, it's surprisingly unpretentious for what it is. Oh, completely. I, I, I it just, um, if you could tell it, it felt like some studio executive was trying to make it more sentimental than it needed to be in order. I don't know. Uh, but we're we're getting far away from Futurama now, um, but I but I, I have a hard time imagining that that kind of robot where they become more and more looking like us until you can't tell the difference. That's sort of well, again, that's the Battlestar Galactica kind of robot future where in that in that apocalypse, what's let what you're left with is a bunch of things that look exactly like humans, but they're robots, right? Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting fictional world to think about, but feels less likely to me now. I don't think we're investing super heavily into uh robots that look like us in fact the but the robots we are investing really heavily into are thinking like ai that control like an internet of things right Mm -hmm. yeah i think we're headed more towards in real life a future where we're sort of cyborgs where we've like implemented our technology Mm -hmm. into our own bodies the Um, cyberpunk kind of future that i think i think that that is that is definitely true we're already kind of in the infant stage of that, you know, arguably like a pacemaker makes you a cyborg, but like their prosthetics are becoming super advanced now. And, and there's just a, a whole lot of fascinating stuff happening, but you're right. We are getting a little bit away from Futurama. <laughs> so my last question is very Futurama based, uh, lose big three, number three. If, um, Matt, if you had the choice to be a head in a jar, uh, and you could survive indefinitely, as such, but somebody has to feed you like fish food or whatever it is that they feed them. 
Um, A, would you do it? B, if you did it, inevitably your head is going to be put on like a shelf in storage uh, for most of the time. Who would you want to be on the shelf next to? What other heads would you want to be on the shelf next to? Oh, that is huge. So would um, you do it? Let's start, let's start well, one bite at a time of this question. Would I was, you do it? I was thinking already, like, oh, absolutely, I would do it. Until you mentioned that I could be just put in storage and, like, sitting there waiting for who knows how many aeons. And that led me to, like, well, is is the oblivion of death better than just sitting in a being a head in a jar on a shelf for thousands of years. And that's a little bit more of an intensive of a question than I was prepared to contemplate during this fun comedy, comedy podcast, Lou. Um, thanks for making me contemplate my own mortality and like eternity heavy stuff. I like to describe but, this as a science fiction philosophy and comedy podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you are fulfilling the brief then right now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, what I, what I would like the worst thing in that scenario would be to agree to be the head in the jar and then not have the option to like opt out at some point when you've had enough, you know? Yep. So if I had a, if it would want to know like what the end game there was, if you're just, once you sign your head over, that's it. You have no control. Uh, if you ever decide like, okay, I've done enough now. I've been alive for a million years. I'm, I feel okay. Um, that's tough. There is sort of an out built into it where there's an episode where uh, the head of Richard Nixon gets, acquires a robot body uh, and he, and he goes on a rampage basically, but that is potential. You could crank yourself and just be like, (laughs) Lou, you just used crank as a verb. And I love that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I, 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 one of the, there's a lot of reasons to be sad thinking about your own death, but one of them was that I just really want to kind of see what happens and how things play out. And like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm really into history anyway. So I, I would love to see the, how the period of time in which I lived connected to like what comes after. So it'd be very tempting for me to take the head in the jar option. So I could just sort of see it all play out. Okay. So if you did mo- on Futurama, most of the heads and jars that we see are former presidents or celebrities. Right. Um, so if you were placed on a shelf for like, not for like permanently, but you know, until you are going to be brought out by your handlers or whatever, uh, what other heads would you want to be near that you could, that would keep you company? Remind me of the rules because there are, there are people preserved who, um, are from way before like there was any kind of technology. I don't know how they're getting these yeah. heads. <laughs> I, I, um, maybe there's some kind of cloning involved. Who knows? <laughs> right. Because so does that, what is, what is my range? Like I can have anybody from history. Yeah. I'm not going to limit you. It could be, and it could be a family member. It could be any, it could be literally anybody. A family member. No way. <laughs> I don't want to look, uh, the, the, I grew up being told I was going to spend eternity with my family. And that was, was like, this is supposed to be a good thing. No, I love them to death. Um, hopefully they, my mom doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, no, but in terms of, so like in terms of, um, celebrity, uh, I had somebody in mind and I just forgot. I mean, there, there are people who sound like they would be fun. And I wonder if I would get tired of being near, like I would love to be next to Oscar Wilde. That'd be great. But would he be, would he, would I be like over it after a few years? Like, okay, Oscar, you don't always have to like, be witty all the time um you don't have to always not everything has to be like it reminds me of that um there's a there's a monty python sketch where oscar wilde is trying to turn everything into a funny little 
like clever saying and it's just like every it's too much like stuff mm. um i uh i feel i even though i don't know that we have much in common like my favorite mm. one of my favorite authors is gene wolf and he passed away a couple years ago uh really brilliant science fiction writer and i feel like i could talk to him for hours probably um although you never know Sometimes I say don't meet your heroes, and and I, mm. I I really think about that a lot in terms of the people I idolize. Um, like maybe it's better to have a little mystique <laughs> and not get to know them. Um, so that that's something I have to I have to really think about. Like who are the people who I really love and idolize, and do I want to risk maybe losing that when you get to know them as a person? So, so maybe Oscar, maybe Oscar Wilde and maybe, uh, Gene, Gene uh, Wolf, Gene Wolf. I think Oscar Wilde is a pretty, is a pretty straightforward answer. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly be very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's a good choice. Um, all right. So Matt, this is a section of the podcast that we call what's your snack, Matt, what's your snack? Uh, do you have a favorite movie snack for when you go to the movies and when you watch movies or shows at home, do you have like a favorite couch snack? My movie snack is when I go to the movies, it, it, that's a very easy answer. Cause it's something I literally only eat at the movie theater and I would never get them in any other context. Junior mints. Oh, Junior mints specifically while eating a movie is like the, the association is very strong to me. Um, you can get them outside of a movie theater, but they're always sold at every movie theater and that I always give in and get them. Um, I like popcorn, but I end up eating a lot of popcorn, which makes me thirsty, which makes me drink a lot. And then I have to pee halfway through the movie. So junior mints are just a nice little, like it, when I, when I, if I were to eat them not at the movie theater, I would be thinking about being at the movie theater the whole time. That's how associated they are. Yeah, it's me. chocolate. It's peppermint. It's delicious. It's very it's refreshing. So it's They're so good. They're so good. But there are a number of things that I think are really good that I limit myself on when I can have them for this reason. Because I, I know I could take it. If, if I let myself have un, unlimited universal access to junior mints, we're going to have a problem. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the same way with eggnog. I love eggnog so much that I only drink it Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Like that's the only time of year I allow myself to do it. When it starts being sold in the store, there's that little voice. It's like, you could just buy that right now, but no, we're, we're going to put a, I have a similar restriction for myself for eggnog, but it's, it's a little looser than yours. As soon as eggnog goes on sale from whenever, like late November, uh, I, that's when I start buying it, but I cut myself off January 1st. I'm not allowed to have eggnog. January through November. You, your willpower must be better than mine around eggnog because if I had it in the house, it would not last very long, and then I'd go buy more. Like, oh it's no, like, it, it's, it's it never weakness. lasts long. Yeah, it never <laughs> lasts long. I, I would say your willpower is better because you only have it on two days. See, well, we we um, you know, uh, Lou, we we really uh, we agree on a lot of things. Just the things we don't agree on, we we spectacularly don't agree on. This is true. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm notably not going to invite you to talk about um, my favorite Star Wars movie. But maybe in the future, you'll come back to talk about one of your favorite Star Wars movies. Hey, I'm happy to talk about your favorite Star Wars movie. I have a lot to say about it. But I don't think I would also, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> but also um, what? But, but also, like, 
it, in a post Rise of Skywalker world, none of that seems to matter. It feels like it matters to me anymore. Yeah, um, that's fair. It's 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 recalibrated my whole rubric of like what a bad Star Wars movie is. Um, but um, at home, I love the the popcorn mix you can get at the bodega that's like half cheese and half caramel. That's like yeah. salty and sweet. Absolute fave. Nice. Uh, all right. So let's see if we agree on this last thing. So Matt, okay. my final question. If we were to replace any two characters from this episode of Futurama with Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> who, who would you replace and how would it improve the episode? Oh. Okay. So my thought process was immediately like, could Whoopi be the beekeeper lady? And then I and then I immediately was like, no, Danny DeVito is the beekeeper lady. Correct. That's the right answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, and then Whoopi. See, I would love again. I'd love to see Whoopi in a in a context that where you, it's not expected. Um, and I think. It would make me very happy to see Whoopi wearing a Santa hat and shooting a, mach- a machine gun at the main characters of this episode. That was good. That was my top choice for Whoopi as well. Santa. Nice. Nice. See? Excellent. Uh, well, Matt, I really, I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Um, this was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first appearance on, ever on a podcast, right? It's, my, it's not only my first appearance uh, on a podcast, but it's been... A life, well, I would say a lifelong dream, but podcasts haven't been around my entire life. But a long held dream to be on a podcast and have a conversation about something fun like this. Uh, well, I'm honored to be your first. Uh, you were really oh, great. Lou, you took my podcast genity. I <laughs> uh, popped your pod cherry. That's, <laughs> oh, man, that sounded gross midway through, but I was like, I'm, I'm already halfway through this sentence. I got to commit to Lou- it. I could I could always rely on you to take whatever I throw at you and like escalate it and throw it back <laughs> at me. Oh man! And uh, well, I really really did enjoy having you on, and I uh, really hope that you'll come back sometime to talk about another uh, robot. Well, this was a TV episode, so maybe a robot movie or a dinosaur movie in the future. Um, yeah. Love science so, fiction. Love robots. Yeah. Love you. So that's oh. easy easy win anytime. I love you. Also, man. I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to talk about robots anytime. Text me. We can talk, talk about robots on text. It doesn't even have to be a podcast. I'm yeah, down. I think we usually do. We're both big fans of the Foundation. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's. I, I assume you're going to cover that for the podcast at some point. I don't. I don't know. You're actually. You're. You would be the only person I think I could go to 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 do episodes of that for me. And I'm here. It's. I'm. I'm going to be completely honest. It is. I'm afraid of doing it because it just feels like it's a lot of work. Like <laughs> just, it's I mean, such a dense and you would need to focus probably series. just, you'd probably just want to focus on the robot character through the, as a through line probably. Yeah. yeah and there's not, there's really just one Demerzel, right? Yeah. Nobody else is a character. The, the, the sort of robots in the, when they, when they do their hyper jump, whatever, there's robots who kind of stay conscious during that, the ones who stay conscious during the jumps are our robots programmed to like handle it. Right. Uh, right. But that they're not characters. It's really just, it's just like this sort of vizier lady. 
Yeah. But well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll just, we'll talk about it off air and uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll decide to do it. It could be, it would be fun. Any, anything I'm down. Awesome. Um, so Matt, do you, is there anywhere else that uh, the listeners can find you if they want to like follow you or, or check out what you're doing or do you want to just plug our bar again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely check out our bar NYC dot com for more about us um and we'll be back again we're back in february and after that every month first wednesday of every month um will and uh, we um lou and i also write typically write lots of scenes about robots um robots come up in our i just wrote a scene about a robot um, and, and i did too and we accidentally like without talking to each other beforehand pretty much wrote <laughs> the exact same scene yeah, exact same premise um, and, and when I saw that scene in the pile, I was like, that must be Lou. Like did nobody else would have come up with this concept besides me. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Come uh, and check us out. And, um, uh, both you see, not only see our writing, but see us perform. Awesome. And thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for listening to every episode of robots vs. dinosaurs and have a spectacular Xmas for Bonica. Kwanzaa or whatever other holiday that you celebrate. Uh, Happy holidays. Russell Dry Bender. I went to Vassar. <laughs> <laughs>